Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This week is Parshas Lech Lecha, and we're going to continue talking about the halachas of Hamaitzi. Pas Hababa Kisnin is what we're going to be discussing this week, and this is the part two of halachas of Hamaitzi. Now, last week we explained that there are three categories of bread products. One is something which is considered bread, which is actual bread, and requires one to wash make a hamaiti, and bench, no matter how little you eat. Two, the second category, is something which is technically bread, but fits into one of the three definitions of pasta babakistan, which literally means dessert bread. And then it's a mezainus, and you make an alamechia, unless your kaveh suda, which means they make it the bread of their meal, and then you do have to wash, but that's what we'll discuss today. What's Pasavavakisnin, and how are you kaveh suda? How do you then change it back into bread, so to speak, through being kaveh suda? And lastly, the third category is that there are grain products which are not considered bread at all, although they are, you know, flour and water, but they're not bread because they, they lack the identity of bread, such as macaroni because it's cooked. And last week we talked about wraps that aren't, according to many Paiskim, considered bread because of the way they're made. They're thin and they're floppy, and that's different than bread. So those are the three categories. So today we're going to talk about Passabobikistan. So we mentioned last week that Passabobikistan uh, means bread, which was served to accompany kisnen. Kisnen was a dessert. So meaning it's bread which has been altered from typical bread and is more like a dessert, and more like something you would serve as a dessert or a cake. Now there are three possible ways that bread can get the status of pass above the kisnen. These are the three ways. Number one, if the dough itself is diff- different than regular bread, it's sweet, it's oily, it's spicy, like pie crust, cookie dough, or flaky dough. So anytime the dough itself has been flavored in a way that makes it very different than bread dough, so that's one way it could be pasilovikistin. Number two, it's regular dough, but it's been filled with something sweet or salty, like uh, kakash cake, which is regular challah dough filled with chocolate, or a knish, which is pizza dough filled with potatoes. So here in this case, it's a regular dough, but it's still possible with kisnen because of its filling. Kakash cake, um, condition, etc. Number three is if it's been baked, it, it doesn't have any of the previous two. The dough is the same and it hasn't been filled with anything, but it's been baked in a different way. It's been baked thin and hard and has a cracker-like consistency, like pretzels, crackers, and so on, and perhaps croutons, as we'll get to, Eventually, those are uh, those are as well. So those are three ways something can be pasulovikisnin. Any one of these is enough to give it a status of pasulovikisnin and render its bracha mezaynis instead of hamaitzi. And the logic is that it isn't bread designed for a meal; rather, it's designed for a snack or dessert. And therefore, Chazal reduced its bracha to mezaynis and al hamichil. Now, in essence, it really is bread. Uh, it's, it's, it has the basic ingredients of flour and water, and it's baked, and therefore it keeps some halachas of bread, meaning that if you are kaveh suda, 
which means that you treat these like typical bread and you eat them in that capacity as bread of a meal, then you must wash and make hamaiti and bench on them. That's what kaveh suda means. You turn them into a meal. So now what constitutes a kaveh suda? What exactly do you do that makes the passive of a kisan that you're eating the crackers into a, a bread, into a meal? So there are two ways it can become the bread of your meal. The classic way, which is discussed in halacha, clearly, is if you eat sheer volume, if you eat enough of the Passover Kisnen, especially when that's the only thing you're eating, and you eat a sheer kaviya suda, you eat the amount which would constitute a kaviya suda on this food, then it's a hamaiti you have to wash, if you make hamaiti you have to bench. Even if you started off with a mezainus and then you changed your mind and you kept on eating so much, you then have to wash and make hamaiti and end up benching. So what is the shear? If, let's say, you're filling yourself up on danishes, so you need to eat quite a bit before you have to bench. The amount is four beitim. Four beitim. Each beitim is a double of double kazai, so we're talking eight kazaisim. And it's quite substantial. It's the equivalent of four slices of rye bread, because each large slice of rye bread is about two kazaisim. Each slice large slice of rye bread is, uh, is a baya. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Each slice of rye bread is two kazesim and one kebeya, because that's equivalent. So four slices would be the amount. Now four slices is a substantial amount of bread and a substan- substantial amount of danish. So it will talk, probably take about two or three nice-sized danishes to reach that amount. However, if one is eating a uh, full suda and instead of bread, they're using crackers. Now, that already creates quite a question. How much crackers will require someone to wash? If you're eating tuna and crackers, if you eat a substantial amount of crackers, enough that they can be considered the essential portion of your meal, it would require you to wash and bench, even though it's less than the previous mentioned amount of forbeim. It's it reaches the, 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 a significant amount simply because you're eating it together with uh, tuna. So you don't have to eat a full four bayim. With tuna, it could be you eat uh, two bayim, and that's already enough for you to have to wash on them. And that's already complicated. So I'll give you an example where, where it's easy to understand this. If someone goes to a chasna and doesn't want to wash, right, so they sit down to the meal, but they have all different kinds of bread products on the table. They have breadsticks or flatbreads on the table. Now, if a person is eating a full three-course meal and then they preface it with the breadsticks and the, the flatbreads and etc., it's very likely that you're going to wash because those things are just taking the place of the bread of the meal. That's about how much bread you would eat in, eat in a large meal like that and you start off with the bread and it's exactly what you're doing. So as part of this kind of meal, and Moshe Feinstein speaks this out, that, that would they get the halacha of kviya suda which, with a much lesser amount. And practically speaking, it's what makes things confusing when you're eating, like I said, tuna with crackers. How much crackers exactly would already make a suffix? Now, I, I still think it's a substantial amount to go beyond a snack cracker, as its name is. Um, but I think, though, if uh, someone did polish off a sleeve of crackers, you know, those round crackers, if you polish off a whole sleeve of them while eating tuna, then that certainly would be a shy love washing. That might even be enough 
uh, uh, it might be as much as four bayim. Uh, but even if you ate more than that, less than that, you ate like, you know, three quarters of that, it's ready quite a shila, and uh, a person shouldn't eat that much without actually choosing to wash. Last night I was by a house, and they served as an appetizer. They, the very first thing that was on the table were rolls that had, they were cut in half, and there was some rice on top of them. And the rolls were marked on the menu, which was prominently placed on the table. They were described as mezoinous rolls. Now, this was not accurate for two reasons. First of all, the rolls were not mezoinous rolls. They were hamaitzi rolls. They tasted like regular rolls, and they looked like regular rolls. So probably the reason why they called them mezoinous rolls is because when they were made with apple juice only. But if the apple juice doesn't change the taste of the dough, which it didn't, the majority of Pais can hold that it still it just remains Hamaitzi. So a, a Mazinus roll, for most intents and purposes, generally is a myth. It's not Mazinus, it's Hamaitzi, because it tastes like a regular roll. It would only, it, that only works when it, the roll itself is sweet, like they, you know, you can buy that sometimes, these sweet rolls. It actually tastes different. It's a Mazinus, but this didn't. This was a regular tasting roll. So it was Hamaitzi. So that's number one. Number two, in addition, it, in this case, it was also designed to be a regular roll. It, it, you know, it's not a dessert roll by any stretch. So it really doesn't fit any category of Passover Kissin. But even were it to have qualified as Passover Kissin, even if, let's say, it was a sweet roll, but here it was being served in the place of bread at the beginning of the Suda, exactly when everybody eats bread. So it was a real Kiriya Suda. So even if it was Passover Kissin, you also had to wash it. It still wasn't designed as because it was, it was the bread in the beginning of the meal. It was a real Kriya Suda and would require washing, Hamaitzi, and benching. Next week, we won't have a, uh, a, a conference call, so I'm going to be out of town, but hopefully the following week, we will continue. Um, that's, in other words, we're going to be skipping Pashas Vayera. Hopefully the following week, Chayasara, um, we will continue. And then we will talk about the status of Passover Kistin regarding pizza, calzone, meat knishes, uh, and croutons, and so on and so forth. This week's parasha begins with Hashem commanding Avram to leave the Eretz Avaisav, the place where he grew up, and travel to an unknown location. And Hashem promises Avram three things. He says, You'll become a great nation. You will be blessed. And your name will become great, famous. And lastly, Hashem finishes with bracha, and you will be a bracha. You will, you will actually be a bracha. Now, the simple understanding of these promises is that uh, become a great nation means Avram will have many children, become a powerful nation. Babarecha will be blessed means he will be a world famous as an ambassador of, ha- of Hashem, and he will have all the possible blessings a person can have, wealth and power. That means he'll have a great name and he'll have bracha. Rashi, though, brings another pshat from the Medrash. And this is what he says. You'll become a great nation. This refers to what we say in Shemun Avram. That's a great nation that we say, Avram. You will be blessed. This is Alekei Yitzchak. Your name will become great. This is Alekei Yaakov. Lastly, you will be a bracha. It means that you, Avram Avinu, will be the final part of the bracha. Because we finished the first bracha of Shemun Magain Avram. That's his second explanation from the Medrash on the different blessings of this Pasuk. is all referring to the first Bracha Shman Esrei, which is Avram, 
Okay, Yitzchak. Okay, Yaakov. And we finish Morgan Abraham. And this seems rather cryptic. How is the fact that we mentioned the others in the first Brach of Shemana Esrei, a fulfillment of these promises, which are clearly talking about something else? But more than that, let's pose a different question. When we're saying the first Brach of Shemana Esrei, who are we praising? Are we praising Avram? We're praising Hashem. It's okay, Avram, okay, it's okay, we're talking about Hashem. But here Rashi is saying that somehow this was a reward for Avram. And it seems like as if mentioning Avram in the first bracha is a testimony to Avram's accomplishment. If so, why in truth are we mentioning it in the opening bracha Shvan Esrei when we're trying to praise Hashem? Rav Yeruchim, the Mashgiach of Mir, has an explanation here which is beautiful and it's very, very deep. And I just, I guess it gave me an idea which I'll, I'll try to give over. As an introduction to this idea, I'll, I want to tell a story. There was a very famous rabbi known as the Chayza of Lublin, and he, as many rabbis did, had a discretionary fund, tzedakah fund, which he would always give out to poor people. He would give larger sums to those people who were related to him, because there is such a halacha, a person has an obligation to take care of his relatives. One time, a fellow borrowed a huge sum of money, thinking that he could get that money if he needed it, if he went broke, he can get it from the Chayzeh. Because there was some kind of relation between him and the Chayzeh. So he approached the Chayzeh and he began explaining how they were related. And obviously it required him going back a few generations and going from aunts to uncles to, to nieces to nephews and to cousins. And finally the Chayzeh said, losing track of his whole, you know, Cheshben, he said, no, Avaiter Karif. He said, okay, you know, very nice. You're a very distant relative. So he gave him the standard amount. The man left quite dejected. He had been counting on you know, his, his relationship here to get a nicer donation. One of the Talmidim of the Chayza, who later became a famous rabbi, Tali of Rapshitz, met this man and heard his story. So he told the man, don't worry, I have a plan for you. They went together to Mincha, and Naftali instructed the man, stand near the Chayza. And when you hear him saying, Alekei Avram, Alekei Yitzchak, Alekei Yaakov, whisper so that the Chayza could hear, Nu, Havaita Karf. In other words, that Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are also very, very distant Karf. Why are you mentioning their names? A distant relation. So the man carried out the plan, and when he whispered those words and the Chayza heard, the Chayza turned white. After finishing davening, the Chayza went and gave the man the full amount he wanted. That's the story. Now, there's a literature angle to the story. The previous Rosh Hashiva of Yeshiva's Brisk in Yerushalayim uh, was the father of the current one. His name was Rav Beryl Soloveitchik. At that point, the Yeshiva had a whole procedure that Bachram went through when they came. At first, they got accepted into the Yeshiva, but they couldn't really go to the Shir. They had to learn in the Yeshiva for about a half a year. And then they were admitted, and they sat in the back. There was a whole process of seniority which is not unusual for yeshivas. It promotes respect for Bachram who are more learned, the greater to me the Chachamim. But if a relative of the Rosh Hashiva would come to the yeshiva, he would generally fast-track this process. Also a concept of Mibsarcha al-Tasaleh. So one time a, a boy came to the yeshiva and he claimed to be related to the Rosh Hashiva. So Abel said, really, how, am I, how are you related to me? So after, again, a long and convoluted explanation, Abel was getting lost, so he said, no, 
Avaita Karv. He actually used that same terminology, ah, distant relationships. So the boy said, hey, let me tell you a story. And he told the Rosh Hashiva this whole story of the Chayz of Lovlin and the Vaita Karav and Abraham Yitzchak Yaakov, and he had Harata for saying that he's such a distant Karav. So Rebel, the Rosh Hashiva, he listened, and he said, I hear the story, but I don't agree. It's true that when it comes to relatives, there are close relatives and distant relatives. But Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, they're not our relatives. They're our fathers. They're our others. It's first generation from us to them. So let's explain what this means. If a person has a prominent relative, uh, politically connected, rich, he might feel very important, and he'd definitely try to milk it for what it's worth. But that's about it. The relationship a person has with his father is very different. If the relationship is healthy and the person respects their father, they'll try to emulate him. They'll try to excel at what their father or mother is good at. They'll find themselves unconsciously copying their mannerisms and talking like them and walking like them. A person wants to be just like their parents. This can go back more than one generation. We... I've heard people speaking by Shalashadis and they could speak about their grandparents and they can describe them as, as their hero, you know, their, their role model. People trace back their lineage to a great forefather that they had, whether it's the people who trace back to the Volnagayan or to the Chazanish, they like to accept all their minhagim, they like to use all their psakim and halacha. It's it just, they feel like they're, they're, they're living up to their heritage. They're emulating their, for, their father. If we refer to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov as our fathers, our others, it's because we're trying to emulate them in every way we can possibly emulate them. We learn these parashiyas and try to pick out whatever lesson we can apply to ourselves, all the elevated and amazing qualities demonstrated by the others, and incorporate them into our lives. In that way, they aren't merely related to us. They're our fathers. They set the example for us. So when Hashem promised Abraham all the brachas, in a sense, they were limited. True, he would have great wealth and fame. But how long does that last? As long as Avram is alive, maybe his children, grandchildren, but how, how much longer? What, what value is there truly to Avram, wealth and fame? But Hashem was telling him that this promise, it's eternal, it's mitzchi, it's forever. Because every generation of Jew throughout history will be the actual son of Avram himself. We will call Avram our father because we are emulating his practices. We will find Hashem the way Avram found Hashem. And we will make Hashem part of our lives the way Avram made Hashem part of our li- his life. And that's what we, when we say Avram, that's what we're saying. We're going to learn from Avram how to make Hashem our God. And in this way, the promises which Hashem promised Avram are eternally being fulfilled. We therefore say this in the beginning of Shemana Asher to testify to the nature of our relationship with Hashem. We follow the path which Avram carved out for us, the way he related to Hashem and embodied Hashem's ways in this world, and that's the way we try to continue. Have a good night and a wonderful Shabbos.